Get ready for the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. Each week featuring a candid and raucous conversation with some of the most innovative, outspoken, and entrepreneurial business minds in the world today. This is the Very Visible Business Podcast, and here's David Averin. And welcome to the Very Visible Business Podcast. I'm David Averin, and uh, each week, each month, whenever you tune in, we are talking to uh, leaders in business and industry and marketing and ways of raising our visibility. And that can be done so many different ways of, of differentiating, of standing out through our customer experience, through our marketing, through our R&D, better products, better something. And the best way to communicate that is to talk to people who are really leaders in this field. And I am beyond thrilled today to talk to, uh, to Gene Bliss. Now, Gene was one of the, the pioneers in the, in the customer experience, whatever you call it. You look at Al Rice and Jack Trout and the work that they did in the early days of positioning and marketing and branding. Gene is to customer experience what they were to marketing. And in her seminal book came out 2006, um, the, oh, I'm going to get the title wrong. Gene, you tell me what it is quick. Sure. Chief customer officer, how to get past lip service to passionate action. That was number one. Absolutely. There we go. And it was actually the, 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 the seminal book in the industry. I mean, it really sort of introduced the whole idea of, of having a chief customer officer. Today, they'll, they'll call it CX, you know, maybe Whatever, a, yeah. you know, customer was, experience. Yeah. But somebody who really had a heightened awareness of, of that role. I think most organizations, I don't know that they were necessarily paying lip service, but I think they were so focused on the metrics and yeah. the supply chain and everything else. And we, of course, were serving our customers, but did they really understand them? So it, it, it's for me, it, um, I, I, it's a thrill for me to talk to you. Before we jump into it specifically, I'm going to read your well-prepared bio and we'll sort of skip <laughs> over a little of this. Genius pioneered the role of the chief customer officer holding the very first ever CCO role, chief customer officer, for over 20 years at Land's End, Microsoft, Coldwell Banker, heard of them, I've heard of them, Allstate <laughs> Corporation, reporting each to the company CEO, she moved the customer to the strategic agenda, creating transformational changes to each brand's customer experience. She's driven achievement of 95% loyalty rate, improving customer experiences across 50,000 person organizations. She's worked with Johnson Johnson and Brooks Brothers and Bombardier Air and Kaiser Permanente and others as well. Needless to say, a phenomenal pedigree. Uh, some of the best companies have learned from her and she continues to teach and speak and, and be sort of the, you know, the leaders of, of a real big movement. And yeah. I think, Gene, there, there's been this big shift. I think we all done, we, everybody did customer service. Right. And right. me as a speaker for, for 20 years, we've seen the customer service people. And I think so many organizations get that part of it, right. sort of the service with smile, we're gonna engage everybody. I always joke because they say, uh, you know, we treat, we treat our customers like family and I'm like, I see how some of you treat your family. <laughs> not, not only, not right, always the David. best thing, that's right, that's right. But, but, but the experience is something different, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So if you think about it, here's a simple way to think about it. Service tends to be reactive. You've got a problem and your people call in and your customers call in or write in or tweet or chat and it's how well you react to fixing the customer. Experience is deliberateness. It's choosing who you are as people, what your values are, and then crafting how you will and will not grow. And it's the comprehensiveness of looking across the entire journey that for a time in companies' lives may require a chief customer officer, experience officer, or a team of people being what I call the human duct tape of the organization. 
because there are very, very few total perspectives across that journey. Say more about the duct tape. I mean, help, help me understand what, what do you mean by that? You bet. So, you know, you think about, for example, one of, one of, I, what I teach and coach people on are what I call competencies. One of the first competencies is honoring and managing customers as an asset. What happens inside of our organizations is every leader has their own KPIs and their own version of success. So right. a CEO gets delivered a false set of positives. The sales guy will say he's honoring the asset by talking about how many new he's got in. The service people will talk about how many calls they've solved. Other operational people will talk about how many parts they sold, but yet there is no consistent one company version of the truth of how many customers we brought in, volume and value linked together from every part of the operation with new being the same definition, how many lost we got with lost being the same definition, right. and what's the net customer asset growth to the entire corporation. So that is why for a period of time you need a duct tape effort to bring the company together. And is that, is that manifest itself in a specific individual? Now here's the, here's the because even before you answer that, yeah. being one of the people that sort of pioneered that role within an organization, people will traditionally grow up in a corporate environment and those, yeah. the, the traditional model of starting in the mail room or whether that's right. just a, a euphemism for, for whatever. But for somebody who comes into this position, it's a very unique skill set. It's, it's a unique yes. mindset and, and awareness and the, and the blinders off. Where does somebody get the training to be able to have that level of awareness to even play that role? That's right. And, you know, thank you for that because it's a very evolved uh, seasoned leader who make the best chief customer officers. In fact, right. I often- They've played multiple roles already within the organization. Well, so they've proven, that, they're, they've proven that they can run an operation. They prove that they are collaborative. They've proven that they can check their ego at the door and are the kind of leader that grows by helping others. And those are actually the people, I spend more time coaching people from inside the company to become this role or this uniter for a period of time than bringing people from the outside of the organization. Now, what we also have, David, are perennial CCOs, people like me who love the job so much that they are moving from industry to industry. Right. But for example, the world's largest manufacturer of hard hats. I mean, we do this in every role, a company called MSA. The gentleman who was the president of North America, so he was a big wig in the organization, right. probably pulled down a great salary, was running the operation, a very well-respected leader. He became the chief customer officer, their first chief customer officer. And so when I coached him, but it was him and the entire executive team to rethink how they would come together as a unit. And our role was simply creating the frame through which they would see the customer journey, ask questions, decide as a unit, drive accountability, and create a common lens through which they would say, we're going to do this, but we're not going to do this. Are you seeing a greater openness for that role today? I mean, I would, I would assume 10, 15 years ago, <laughs> this was foreign, or they would try and redefine it. So what you're talking about, like you're the customer service chief, right? And you're like, no, that's yeah, not what no, we're talking about. That. That's right. Well, and, and people say, you know, do you think every company has to have a CCO? Well, my answer to that is it depends. It right. depends on the maturity of the company. It depends on the people. It depends on actually how collegial and self-unifying the organization is. 
it also depends on the life cycle of the organization. The goal with a lot of the companies I coach is actually to work the CCO eventually out of their role as this ability to work together differently is embedded into the skill sets of the organization. Right. So there are more, to answer your question, there are more and more and more and more. But the goal really, the whole check your ego at the door part of it is we need to teach people to fish so it becomes part of how they bring a product to market. How they answer questions that every silo doesn't feel they have to create their own survey. That's why we're going nuts with surveys, but rather be part of a total company wide version of listening, for example. Right. So what, what's the, in your mind, the biggest learning, what's the biggest aha moments that, that you've had over the last, let's even say the last five years. Cause I, I think there's been a real um, emergence yep. of, of consciousness around the importance of all of this. And, and it's not that people, I think, leaders and organizations, it's not that they thought they didn't get it. I think they no, probably thought they did yes, get it. That's right. Well, and, and it's not inadvertent. You know, you say to anybody, do you focus on your customers? It's blasphemy to say you don't. But the question is, how do you operationalize that focus? So here's three forcing functions that have occurred, to your point. Um, this is a little over five years, of course. We had an economic downturn. We've been talking about customer retention and customer growth and the, the growth of the customer as the asset to drive organic growth. I mean, I've been, at Land's End in 1984, we measured customer lifetime value. They were certainly an enlightened company, but it, this is not old news. In the downturn, for the first time, leaders began to take it more seriously, the power of growing the current asset thirst versus just throwing money at top line growth that you're gonna get from in you know new come incoming customers. Right. The second thing that happened was social media. It is the best tool for those of us who are duct tapers. Is that you can hide, but you can you can explain who you are. But it's your customers' words and what they're experiencing. That is the definition in the marketplace of your journey and your experience. And go ahead. Were you going to? No, say no, go, no. Go finish up. One more thing. The third thing is that after all these years of senior leaders saying go work together, they've realized that the silos don't organically unite or they don't organically start with the customer's life. Even when they do improvement efforts, it's very silo or internally driven. For example, you know, in a large insurance company, if you see your complaint spike around the bill, the CEO will say, hey, Joe, you run billing, will you go fix the bill? Well, Joe and his really great team will work on the bill, the bill reason codes, but the billing experience starts with the agent and how the agent sold. And if you have an agent that's a diagnostic guide, and if you explain what even your policy coverage was, so that when you get the bill, you don't have that disappointment moment that then spirals you into service. Right. Well, and those disappointment moments spiral into a, a level of communication on the part of our customers and our clients and our prospect that we've never seen before. I mean, I think as you talk about social media, That's right. as, as, as I talk about as well, it's sort of this significant driver because um, we all grew up in business with this basic guest relations philosophy, this conventional wisdom, and we, we know how valuable that is. The average person with a positive experience will tell two or three people, but somebody with a negative experience will tell 10. And I'm like, none of that's true. Now we tell thousands. We do. We have the megaphone in our hand. That's right. Millions. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I, I, I just uh, drag a paying customer off your airplane. Let's see how fast that spreads. Oh, it's insanity. And you know, I mean, it gets, and, and so the work is about saying, okay, 
journey mapping, there's lots of things that have gone off the rails too, right? We're turning customer experience into the mechanics instead of the meaning of the work. Right. The purpose, for example, David, of journey mapping for me is to give leaders a new language set for how they ask for accountability. But instead, companies spend Google amounts of money, touchpoint map every touchpoint. They have Visio binders full of everything. And nothing changes in the language or the accountability or the culture. Instead, just redesign the purpose of your business based on your customer missions and their goals. And as one simple shift, change how your leaders ask for accountability in their monthly report out. Ask by stage of the journey or customer mission, not marketing operations sales. But how, how, how do you benchmark that without over-serving? How do you do it from an internal perspective as opposed to now? Uh, one of the things is, is my, my new book comes out we're gonna, about why customers leave. Yeah. A whole chapter, chapter on over-serving. Right. We get, we get our best surveys. customers, our best clients, and immediately bombard them with surveys. And then when they ignore it, we send them another one. No, seriously, how do we do? Yeah. And one, no, seriously. So, well, I was happy, but now I'm not happy <laughs> because you keep sending me the goddamn survey. That's right. Um, there's a portion of that in my in my book as well. Would you do that to your mother? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and surveys for me have been a challenge because, I mean, I've been working on this stuff since 1983. Um, what we know is that, and I talk about this in my, in my third book called Chief Customer Officer 2.0, is you need to build a learning, a listening path because there's multiple ways, David, that customers are giving you feedback. They're giving you volunteer feedback on a regular basis through your social media, through feedback as they buy or return items. Operationally in your feedback, they're telling you what their behavior is. Um, yes, you can also do aided listening, such as pushing surveys out, but it's a it should be really be a combination of three or four things. And the way I do it is you, you really need to think about it as telling the story of customers' lives. As a result of the experience we deliver, did we earn the right to grow? In stage three, let's say it's onboarding. Our customer complaints were in our call centers were spiking here. Our operational performance is validating that. In social media, here's what happened. And our verbatims from our survey results are pointing to the same things. Here's a visual of all the stuff we made our customers go through, the spaghetti right. tree of how many calls. Here's the downloads they had to do. And by the way, here's our survey score. But what this requires is a lot of duct tape work, David. What right. that means is, you know, today we've got the social people presenting their results and off we go. We've got the complaint people presenting their results and off we go. We've got operational KPIs and off we go. We've got survey. This is the duct tape work is knit it together. We need to get a common classification, first of all, of how you report and how you define problems so they can roll up by stage. Because the two things that are important for leaders is tonnage and convergence. Do you have enough information from multiple sources pointing at the same thing? Right. And where do they converge so we can get focused? Otherwise, every silo goes off doing their own thing to see what they can do to get lift on their survey score. And we got to kibosh that approach to business. Amen. Well, and, and I like that, that you're, you're pulling data from a lot of different sources right. and finding ways to create big data and extrapolate from that because it's a behavioral thing as well. It's not just the amount of complaints or the people that fill out the survey. I was reading the book. Um, I can't remember who wrote it, but maybe you have it. Um, more is more. Yeah, um, I know right? that book. 
Right. And, and one of the things that, that I, that I love that, um, that they talk about in the book is that when we talk about customer service, the customer service as a department right. has come to mean the complaint department. Oh, right? the bleeding heart department. Right, right. Yeah, but the yeah. customer, customer service department, it's like, well, let me switch you to customer service. Like if you have enough unhappy customers that you have to create an entire department to deal with them, can we not reallocate some of those funds? But that's been the traditional measure, right? What are the complaints that are coming in? That's there really exactly. are better measures and they're behavioral measures as well. That's right. And you know, the, what's interesting is if you don't know why your customers are complaining, you're already behind the eight ball. Right. Now we do include the complaints in our storytelling. And that's the other thing about a chief customer officer or marketing as they're moving into this role. It's about telling the story. It's we got to take customers off the spreadsheets and the decks. That's why I do something with my clients called a customer room, where it's like going to the Museum of Science and Industry. You're walking the life of the customer and you're showing the screenshots and you're playing the calls and you're showing the trending. And if you know something's going kabooey, you send your leaders out to try to do it before you present it to them. Because right. we need to put the human in the shoes of the customer. Right. But, and, but we... But we felt, but I think we felt like we've always done it, haven't we? And what we've done is we've done demographics and psychographics, yeah. but not behavioral, not, not day in the life of the customer. That's right. And, and that's the other thing when I do, for example, customer asset metrics, I have my clients use whole numbers. We brought in 100,000 new customers, volume and potential value, but we lost 95,000 in that same period because yeah. I'm Italian. You, your nationality may also use this. They call it agita. We want to give people sick in the belly, agita, that human beings are walking out the door. We want them to imagine the life leaving your business. If right. you use retention rates, if you use retention rates, it gives you a number that you don't think about. Yeah, you're at a 75% retention rate, but you're not thinking about how many you've had to bring in and the bucket at the bottom. Right. This was the old AOL. Remember, we get the old disc. For America Online, and it's just if we can create enough new people, it'll compensate for whatever attrition that we have on the other end. I take it to a different level, and I'm and I'm curious about your thoughts about sure, this as well. Sure. Is is part of my admonition in in the work that I do, and we are we are kindred spirits in much of this. Is that I say the greatest source of lost revenue for your company? It's not your supply chain. It's not your your human resource costs. It's not your cost of goods. It's the customer, the client, the prospect that you never knew about right? The people that leave before they even come. It's not even uh, attrition. It's not even the people. They, they went away. They, they, they called on the phone. They hung up because they didn't want to do your, your voicemail system or they went to your website and they clicked away without buying it. And you have no idea who those people were or how many of them there were. Well, and I think you're right because with social media also, what we're getting more and more people who won't even go for the first, for, in the first place right. because United breaks guitars and they break animals up and you know not just united anybody i don't want to right. get a bad rap, or any or any restaurant with a couple of bad reviews right that's right i walked into don't a take a chance drug, yeah i went into a drugstore the other day and uh you'll love this i was in the back buying stuff near the pharmacy i had like five or six things there was nobody at the pharmacy cashier usually there's a line of people getting their prescriptions filled so i said will you ring this up here she goes this is only for pharmacy ring outs I said, there's nobody here. She said, you have to go to the front. I said, why do I have to go to the front? Because we only, and I said, does your machine work? She goes, yeah. And I said, look, the pharmacist was standing right there. I said, 
really? He goes, okay, check her out there. Like they were like making some big concession that they were going to, and I, I, you know, me, it's very hard to be, to do what we do. Right. Without constantly evaluating scenarios. My husband's always like, did you do the little lecture? And I held my tongue. I didn't do the, but this is the insanity. That's why I called this silly book I had just, just you. Can you hold it up for folks? Yeah, I am going to hold. So here, here is her, her new book. It's called Would You Do That to Your Mother? The Make Mom Proud Standard for How to Treat Your Customers. It is, it is so readable. It is so, um, but, but it is, it's how we talk. It's like, would, would your mother be proud of it? And there's some basic things, right? Basic things. But, but, there's, but there's real scenarios that lay out why it's important and how much of this for us is just maddening. As we talk about, and there's other people, John DeJulius and, yep. and Chef Hyken That's and other right. people in our industry that talk about the, the fallacy of policies and the benefit of guidelines. That's right. So are we empowering our people. Um, there, there's a scenario, a scenario I, I, I want to tell you that, that happened to me a couple of months ago. I was leaving a hotel early in the morning. I was doing a morning presentation. I was actually yeah. speaking for a Vistage group. So it's going to be like an all morning thing. I'm yeah. leaving about seven o'clock in the morning. I stop at the front desk at this hotel and I said, I need to do a, um, I'm not gonna be able to be back by noon. I need to do a late checkout. She goes, we're not, we're not doing late checkout. I'll say, I'm sorry. And I said, well, I, I appreciate, it, but I'm not going to be able, I mean, I'll be back by, I get done on stage at noon, should be done by 1215. I'll be out by 1230. I'm really close. And she's like, I'm sorry, we have a convention coming in. We're not doing any late checkouts. I said, I, I can't get back. She says to be honest to God verbatim. She said, well, I'm sorry. If you can't be out by noon, we're going to have to charge you for a second day. And so I look I at it. because that happen to me in Brazil this past week. Yeah. But so you and I, because we teach this and because we're evaluating every scenario, I look at her very calmly and I say, okay, so if you're going to charge me for a second day, I'm not going to check out of the room at all. If I'm going to pay right. for it, I'm going to get the full value of it. Your convention here will not have a room at all. Is that the outcome you were looking for? And she looks at me, she goes, uh, and she goes back to, let me talk to my manager, comes back 10 <laughs> seconds later, 1230 would be fine. Of course it would. Now, do you and I both think that she would love to have said yes? Of course. It's not got, her fault. But she got neutered, right? She did get neutered, exactly. Right. She did. People we, don't want to act that way, you know, in the they moment don't. they call it congruence of heart and habit, right? Doing at work what you were taught to do the basics of life, of being good human beings. And it's, we have neutered people all around the world. I like the neuter. Right. I love it that you wrote about this. You wrote about, about letting people bend the rules where they need to, to do the right thing when they can. I call it, you call it grace. I call it humanity in my presentation as well. We hire people. We, we hire them for their judgment, for their experience, for their background, and we immediately neuter them. And we now don't just, trust them. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and I, I, when, I, when I talk to clients, I say, look, this isn't, this isn't belief, blind belief. This is built belief. You hire them for the right reason. You give them the information. For example, customer lifetime value. You know, I, a million right. years ago, a gazillion miles with every airline, and I'd lost my airline card. And the poor woman at the front desk asked me for $35 to replace my card. Like, uh, I spent $100,000 with you, right? Oh, my but God, that's, at least. That's so what she was told but, to say. But she didn't, wasn't given the value of who I was or the ability to extend trust. And so companies, this is where the work is, David. It's the shift. It's, you can inventory the vulnerable times in your customer's life where if they go across the line, they're going to tell everybody and it's that pivot point where they may leave. If you just inventory the vulnerable moments, talk to your employees about it and give them options, right. you will keep growth customers advocacy and social media right. and it's insane but that takes work 
Yeah, well, we spend a lot of time training policies. Do we train critical thinking? Do we, do we empower our people to make, and here's the reality. So we have these scenarios and, and, and you, you've done this part a lot longer than I have, but I love some of the responses that I get. So, um, and sometimes if we, if we do this and they say, but if we do this, they'll take advantage of us or whatever else, or we have to do it for everybody. So in this scenario where this, this woman wanted, um, uh, I was having lunch with her and she had, she had a Caesar and she had a chicken, she was, there was chicken Caesar was on the menu. I'm not saying yeah. it's well. And she wanted to see if she could substitute shrimp right. for chicken because shrimp was on the menu for something else. And they say, oh, we don't do substitutions. And we know why, because either the chef doesn't want to do it or they don't know how to price it. Yeah, there's so, something about them. It's something about them. Yeah. Right, and it's like, what's the alternative? Not giving her what she wants? You know, it's such an easy thing to just be dismissive. Right. And, but, but when I brought this up with clients as well, when I'm consulting others, and they say, but if we, have, if we do it for them, we have to do it for everybody. And I say, no, you don't. You only have to do it for the people who ask. Because well, it's only going to be a few people. If you can, just do it for them. I mean, what's the alternative? Not giving them what they want? And but we trust, create automatrons. That's right. Yeah, I call them policy cups. Trust yeah. given is trust received. I want to tell you two stories. Number one, this is, I've been doing this work forever. You know, I got yes, to Landsat in 1983 and we mapped the touch points of the last Landsat journey in 1985. You know, so I mean, this is just, this is like the same stuff that we're now, we're just, people love it even more now. Um, we were building the Christmas experience or the holiday experience. And we just we were the first ones who built order by such a date and we'll get it to you in time for christmas and if we don't we're going to give you your order free now i proposed this to our board of directors and they said gene we are going to give away millions of dollars and you know i worked for a ceo and company that said no this is the right thing do you know how much order, free orders we gave away about sixty five hundred dollars in free yeah orders. And do you know how many additional orders you got because you gave them a confidence? We created the whole, that that began because in the whole industry, every catalog, every online, there's an order by date. We started that because of fearless leadership. Right. It takes fearless leadership. It's leadership bravery. And that's why this doesn't happen. It doesn't get wired in to the ecosystem of companies. Another cool story. Do you want to? No, I was going to say, just on that one, let me just, before you tell you, but what you also did, of course, was you, you connected that one point of trepidation on the part of the customer, which was, I can't take a chance in doing a mail order right. when, and, make, and have a chance at Christmas morning or Hanukkah morning that yes. it's not going to be there. So Hanukkah, that, I'm sorry. Right, that level, that, no, you're fine. Um, that level of doubt, it, uh, you know, is, is, a, is a barrier. And That's so right. you were c- connecting the, the fears and the trepidation and the, what might prevent somebody from doing it with bold leadership saying, well, let's pioneer something in the marketplace. You weren't trying to be pioneers. You were just trying to, to be better with your customers. Well, everything we did started with the life. You know, right. we thought about when we, be, when we began the children's business, we thought about, you know, poor little kids blowing out their knees, knees on their overalls. So our overalls are double need on purpose. We thought about... Um, when you get the box, remember when you were little, did you play with the box more than the toy? Always. So when we did the kids' bills business, I, I was like, we need to do something with these boxes. So we spent, this was in 1986 or 90s. I can't remember. I'm too old. We spent $15,000 total and printed the head and the tail of a cow, a sheep, and a horse on the flaps of the Land's End box with a note to the parents so they can turn that huge shipping box into a box their kids could ride around the house. I mean, it's 35 years later, people are still telling me about those boxes. Right. 
but it's starting with the life and knowing the life and just wiring humanity and that whimsy into it. It takes so little, but people don't start with the life. Well, and I think they're getting it more and more. What was the other more story? You were, the other story you were going to tell? Oh, the other story. It's in the mom book. Um, it's a, a door, called the Dorchester Hotel. It's in the chapter called "Put Others Before Yourself," which you were talking about. And this right. is the notion of um, if you they they were watching. They're kind of a glamour hotel chain, right? And they weren't getting a lot of complaints around breakfast. Now, the everyday company, I call it, would read all the complaints and go, oh, we got to fix the eggs. We got to do better bacon. Well, instead, they started with the life and they understood their clientele is on every kind of shishi diet. They have people making them custom food. So instead of starting with the menu, they started with the life. And the waiter walks up to you at breakfast here and says, what are you hungry for? We can make you anything you'd like. There is no menu. I mean, it, what a shift. What a shift. Right, right. Re- remarkable. But it, it takes a different set of thinking. Are you finding companies more and more attuned to that? More, I mean, because even our communication mechanism, what we do online, the articles that they can read, we're not waiting for the evening news at 6 o'clock in Time Magazine once a week. I think we're so much more enlightened. I think leaders, I'm finding the leaders so much more receptive that they get, at least they get the need. Yep. Uh, and they see others, there's, there's, there's a plethora of case studies and others. And what you do so well, once again, in your book, would you do that to your mother available worldwide today? Um, Thank you for that. But, but, it, but it's telling scenarios of things like of, of companies that right. do it right. Well, and the other thing that's happening, David, that we're doing is introducing other ways of listening. For example, I was just at St. Jude Children's Hospital as a client of mine for many years. They not only do ethnography where you follow customers home, but they have also hired two um, anthropologists in their business around listening. And so we're using these approaches to really, if you ask the customer, do you want a red cup or a blue cup? They'll pick a cup, but maybe they didn't even need a cup. So it needs other ways of understanding the life. And that's why we're using ethnography, anthropology, watching customers, other ways to understand the life that inspire the actions that move you from the everyday and even make reliability out of the ordinary. So that's the other thing that we're finding is we have to teach companies how to listen differently, how to storytell differently. Right. And, and they're, in so many cases, they're, they're so close and they understand their business inside. And now it's not that they don't get any of this, but it's so hard for them sometimes to take that step back. I was actually working with a group in San Francisco yesterday and there was a gentleman in the group and he was, he was um, at financial services mm-hmm. and he was talking about sort of the biggest fears of the people he worked with. And every one of the fears that he identified was from their perspective, their fear that the money isn't going to last, the fear that that they're they're not going to, everything's going to be taken through taxes and everything else, right. and everybody else around the table basically said, "Those are those are what you think that they should fear." You know what they fear? They fear having to fill out all the damn paperwork to switch. They fear going to their current financial advisor who had worked with their dad and breaking up with somebody who there's a relationship and, and them going, I, what did I do wrong? Why are you, that's what, that's their life. They fear being goosed by fees they didn't know about, right? right. You know, I mean, this whole financial runoff right now, right now I'm just calculating, okay, how much is all this costing me in fees and other things? It's right. it's get out of your world as organizations. Yeah, exactly. And I think we're finding them much more. Tell me a little bit about the book. Tell me what, sure. what, what precipitated this. 
um, how this is differentiated from what you've done before and, uh, and about the reception. Sure. Thank you. Um, so a lot of my And books for those of you listening, I say this book as in, would you do that to your mother book? Thank you. This is the Would You Do That to Your Mother book. So this is my fourth book. All of my books are in the areas of customer experience. My, If you think about it, the chief customer officer books I've written, I've written two of them, are how to arm wrestle the silos, how to unite the leadership team, the methodology that works as a leader and a leadership team to earn organic growth. This book, Would You Do That to Your Mother, is 32 case studies that define our lives as humans and customers of the world. It is a toolkit where even if you don't have a chief customer officer, you can come together and look at, you know, the four chapters are, would you be the person I raised you to be? How do you treat your employees to let them rise? Don't make me feed you soap. What are the eight things? There's 32 case studies, eight in each chapter. What are the eight things that drive all of us in our lives as customers nuts? How many of them are you doing? Right. Put others before yourself. Are you designing what you do operationally? To your point earlier, David, based on the customer's life or your internal silos or agendas. And then uh, take the high road. Get rid of the nickel and diming, the policy before the policy, the, the imbalanced way that we, again, inadvertently, we give you mom's benefit of the doubt, inadvertently. And so this is 32 case studies, an audit at the end called Stop the Shenanigans, that get you to action immediately. Every right. single one of these case studies has a mom lens where you can reflect on what you're doing and this audit. And so it's it's kickstarting. You know, what I've seen in customer experience is we're taking so much time with data and we're making it into accounting almost. I wanted it to be viral, visceral, and personal. And um, I, this, would you do that to your mother is just a question any part of the organization could ask. Right. And I, and, and I found it, I, I would add another word. It was relatable. Yeah. Very relatable. I, I think, I think people will self-identify. I think they'll, they'll be able to um, gauge their own current structure and model and behavior and delivery and mindset based on what's there. But even better yet is when you're looking, how are people going to want it? I mean, disruption, of course, is happening. The, the time frame when change is happening is so quick hmm. is that when you look at how are your customers going to want to buy from you two years from now, three years from now, not 10 years from now, not okay. Jetsons, you know, there's my Jetsons impression. The, the, like the, the futurists, the prognosticators used to talk about, here's where we're going to be in 10 years and 20 years. It's next year. Yes. Amazon okay. drone delivery is now. I mean, the, that's right. So it, what I liked about about the book, and I will tell you, I'm about halfway through right now, is that I think it's really good for organizations also to be able to say, as we sit down strategically as a team, and we envision, we take a date off the calendar, turn off our phones, right. and say, how are people going to want to do business with us right. two years from now? Um, the expectations um, are, are so um, embedded within the yeah. lessons that how can we do it now? What technology does not yet exist that will become expected in two years yeah. from now? Yeah, and, and I love that because for me, like you said, the mom book and my other book called I Love You More Than My Dog, those are the beacon books. Who right. are we going to be and how will we show up in the marketplace? And right. then the other books help you to operationalize it. Cool. Hey, listen, what a treat. Now, here's my, um, I do a, a lightning round. Here's our lightning oh, cool. round. You ready? Okay, okay, okay. Ready. Quick questions. Okay. Very little to do with what we're talking about because cool. people, our listeners, our viewers want to know who you are and everything else. And okay. I you are, are wicked smart and delightful as well. Um, all right. Question number one, what food yes. do you hate? What food do you hate? What do you like? 
smelly food, um, bad fish. I love fish, but I hate smelly bad fish. Here you go. That's good. I hate onions. You know, it's, I, I wish every guy in my family, we can't stand onions. I also found out through my 23andMe and my ancestry and everything else, I found out why I hate cilantro. Apparently, it's, apparently it's a gene. Like literally, I have, a, I have a gene that says, you hate cilantro. And I'm like, yes. Anyway. I haven't done that thing yet. I should. Oh, I'm telling you, there's stories behind that that are unbelievable. Oh um, how do you feel about emotional support animals on planes? Oh, if they really are emotional support animals, I'm all for them. But I've seen some of the largest animals. I just don't know. I'm so confused now. I'm not even confused. I'm just annoyed. I mean, everybody everybody loves their pet. I have asthma. I have sat in first class. Right? Yes. Dog under my seat. Uh, And I'm, oh, so here's what happened to me the other day. And they offered to move me. I'm like, yes, I chose this seat. They said, you can move back to coach. The woman with the animal has precedence over you. I'm like, this is a full price right. ticket that was bought like three months ago. Now, I want to bring my emotional support fiance. <laughs> She'll sit under the seat. She, I'll take her with me everywhere and not pay for that. She has emotional support fish. It's, it's, Those are good too. Oh, okay, here's a, here's a funny question. Okay. Jean Bliss. Yes. How do you think your life would have turned out differently if your last name had been Cranky? Well, my maiden name is Lombardo. Oh, there we go. So this is your Mary. I went all Match.com to find that guy. There, I was just, you, had to find, you had to find somebody that wasn't cranky or lip shits. No, or... I'm all Dago. I mean, I'm 100% Italian and I loved Italian, but, you know, it was this weird serendipity thing. So I'm in Seattle. I'm living in Seattle. I'm working at Microsoft. I'm at a coffee shop. Could there be more trite things than that? Right. And my son's two and a half year old. My, my, two, my, my husband's two-and-a-half-year-old son, Ball, rolled to my feet. That, that's he, God stuff right there, right? He had the, the kid out of his nudging. Chair. He had the kid out of his chair. You know, Roll it there! Roll it yeah, there. right. There you go. So, yeah. That's awesome. Okay, who's your celebrity crush? I love Eleanor Roosevelt. Celebrity crush. Like, not just, I mean, like, like, like a Matthew McConaughey celebrity oh, crush. I, you know what? I don't even know if I have one of those. I know. You've never been asked that before, at least not on a podcast. I haven't been asked that before. I just saw um, A Star is Born. Do you see that? Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. There you go. I, like, died crying on that movie. Like, was that not great? I'm watching him this Both whole movie going, okay, this is not fair. Nobody should be that ruggedly handsome with greasy hair and everything else. And, of course, you know, I, I mentioned this to my fiance sitting next to me. He goes, she goes, shh, shh. You know, right? She tapped, and I said, "You know what? I think if I uh, if I grew my hair out, I could kind of." She just taps my leg, like, "Yeah, no. you, just, you go ahead and keep thinking it." No, nobody. Well, and I thought Lady Gaga was most wasn't she wonderful? I both of them. So there you go. Those are, thank you for Great. that answer. That Mine is Maria Menounos. Oh, you know, oh, oh, I gave a speech right after her once. Did it you really? Oh, I would. I mean, how I, do you go up on stage after her? I don't know. I just. <laughs> Crazy crush. All right, last one. Dream job, and don't tell me it's doing what you're doing. If money was not an object, mm-hmm. what would you do if you didn't need to make money, but it's just your passion? What would you just? What would be like the coolest job to have? Art curator. Love it. I love my art. It's like my, you know, as I kind of figure out my, I'm I'm curating art for my friends. It's just the most oh, it's joy. 
Good. See, that tells us that we learned something more about you. All right, Gene Bliss, if people okay. want to get in, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to hire you, work with their company, speak to their organization, where do they find you? Customerbliss.com. Bam. Easy breezy. And then your Easy books breezy. remind me of the uh, the titles of the book. Of course, the new one, uh, for those of you who are watching this as a video and not an audio podcast, it is Would You Do That to Your Mother? Look yep. this up. Uh, Amazon. cartoons in there, too. Yeah. There are. And it's great cover, great retro kind of things as well. Now, do you have an audio book as well? Did you did you narrate it? I narrated the audio book. Yes, that was very fun. Have you narrated yours? I have. I have. And as a matter of fact, my new book, for my last book, Visibility Marketing, um, actually for both of them. My first book yeah. was It's Not Who You Know, It's Who Knows You. Yeah. And I did it for both of them. But that's tough. I mean, there's times I get through a page and I'm like, okay, I have no idea what I just said. And they said, yeah, you sound like you kind of zoned out. Let's do that one again. <laughs> It's exhausting because for me, I, it took three and a half days and I was trying to give a keynote the whole time. I'm like, no, 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 no. But I do as well. I think it's better for the listener to hear you us doing it as we it. do it. Well, but I just, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I just heard from my publisher that they just sold the, the audio rights as well. So I'm going to be flying out to Me Western Michigan in a month or so and, and read the new book as well. So, oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And I think for those of us who, for our fans, they love to hear it and more and more people are... Uh, are uh, are listening in their cars or on planes? Yeah, and people like the, the they know your voice. They they feel like they know you more humanly. I'm doing this little video blog thing called Daily Dose, which is like two and a half minutes, and I I'm really digging the whole you know. And I go on with no makeup sometimes. Like I think dare to me be too. Me too. <laughs> so much you look amazing without makeup. Thank you. I I I'm I'm all salt and pepper. Your fiance. When are you getting married? You know, I can't say that because it's oh. it's a it's a podcast and we haven't revealed to everybody, but it's it's coming soon. We've been together five years. I'm the happiest. I'm the luckiest guy. All those people who follow me on Facebook and others, everybody knows. Everybody's always like, Oh my god, he so loves you. And I, yes, I do. But we're getting getting personal. Hey, listen, Gene Bliss, what a treat. Um, you and I had not met before, and I hope we have an opportunity to rub shoulders at a conference or something sometime. Have me on your podcast. I'd love to talk to you. I as would well. love to, and I'll see you at NSA. Um, good. I will be there. And the nice thing is it's here in my hometown of Denver, Colorado this Very year. Nice. So come up and say hi. For those of you listening right now, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We are on C-Suite Radio. We are on uh, Apple iTunes and everything else. Click to subscribe. I don't know if it's below or on the side. I have to pay more <laughs> attention to those things as well. Um, look up Jean Bliss as well. Subscribe to her things. And, uh, and be sure to listen to my other podcast. A lot of interesting people that we talk to, sort of a, an unscripted, um, unprepared, uh, great conversation. So hopefully you had a chance to learn. And uh, we appreciate everybody listening in and we will connect soon. For past and future episodes, be sure to subscribe at theveryvisiblebusiness.com. You can also learn more about David Averin's keynote speaking and consulting at visibilityinternational.com. Connect with us on social media and check out David Averin's latest book, Visibility Marketing at Amazon.com. This has been the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.